that's a big part of why I moved because I think anonymity, which I suppose is the opposite of fame, is so valuable and it's so such a beautiful thing to have that freedom where you can just wander around, you can be in your own head and nobody knows your business and that's what you miss out on, I think, when you um when that when you lose that, um it's gone, you know, and I don't think people realize like for, for for some types of personalities that's like perfect for them um but i never enjoy it Happy New Year, everyone. Welcome to 15 Minutes, a podcast about fame. I'm Jamie Berger. Last time we spoke, it was just before the new year, and my voice was similar to this. I'm still sick, but the show must go on. The dilemma is really yours. If you hate fried-out voices like mine... You might say, I'll check out the next episode. But if you love mellifluous voice with an Irish accent saying really interesting things, then you'll love to hear my guest. So weigh that while I tell you straight from her bio on her website so I can stop talking about today's guest. A TV star in her native Ireland, Maeve Higgins has performed all over the world, including in Edinburgh, Melbourne, and most recently, Erbil. Now based in New York, she's made a name for herself there too, in a good way. She co-hosts Neil deGrasse Tyson's Star Talk on National Geographic and has appeared in Comedy Central's Inside Amy Schumer. Maeve hosts a live show every month with author John Ronson and is a frequent guest at the Eugene Merman Comedy Festival. She's writing a book of funny essays for Penguin, due out for publication in late 2017. Maeve also makes great radio and is currently hosting a podcast about immigration called Maeve in America for First Look Media. All of you within driving distance of my voice should consider driving to Turner's Falls, Massachusetts on February 9th to see Maeve Higgins with Eugene Merman at the Shea Theater. I'll have more info on getting tickets for that and finding her podcast on the other side. We spoke on the phone a few days ago. Hi, Jamie. Hello, Maeve. How are you? I am getting better, is the answer. Good. How I, am. I, I usually don't sound so uh, gruff. Yeah. It, yeah. But th- this gives me an opportunity, though, to, to do my, my only two impressions, which are Mo from The Simpsons <laughs> and 
Javi Feierstein, which are pretty much the same two people. Just, what was this? What was the second? Who was the second one? Uh, Javi Feierstein, playwright, uh, Broadway, um, famous gay man. And nothing. You like, don't sound like um, Mo, but maybe you do sound like that second guy. Okay. Well, I'll, I'll work on my Mo. It, it's Harvey Firestein that people do uh, mention when I get like this. Oh, okay. <laughs> anyway, hi. It's great to meet you. You too. Thank you for thank you for chatting to me on a Sunday. Hey, who knows? I, I may have met you one year at the festival. I, we used to come down every year uh, to to Eugene's Comedy Festival. I've been doing it since for a long time. I think my first time coming over was like 2009 when I still living in Ireland and I would yeah just that was like my, those were my first shows here at Eugene's festival in Brooklyn and did you know each other from Edinburgh festival or yeah exactly we met there um at the Edinburgh festival I don't really know when but um I guess 2006 or 7 or something like that and um he was always like you you love America. You should come to America. <laughs> that, that's a very good impression as well. <laughs> um, and then, so so I did. Now I live really close to where that festival is on, actually, because I've since moved here. I moved here three years ago. Um, You're answering everything I wanted to start with, which is when, when you came. Uh, so you came three years ago. And, of course, the next question is, is why? Well, I came from, I was living in London for a year and I didn't like London at all. And I, whenever I came over here, I had fun shows and I had friends here. Um, but there's not really like a great answer. It's, it's just more like I had a romantic idea about New York in particular, New York City in particular, being a writer yeah. and living here. Um, and Sometimes now I do this whole show about immigration. I talk to people all the time about like why they left, where they were born and why they traveled so far. And my own story is just really, I think it's quite cliche <laughs> because, you know, I was very lucky in that I was able to get a visa for the States without too much trouble. In, in fact, some of our, you know, like, um, is that coming through on your on the call? Oh no, I don't I just hear your voice. Oh good, okay, good. Um but in fact some like for example Eugene Merman helped me to get my visa and lots of comedians pitched in and wrote letters to the US government. <laughs> yeah, I heard you uh on a recent episode. Everybody you should listen to Mave in America. There there's the first plug. There'll be one in the intro and the outro too cuz it's it's a really lovely Lovely Thank show. you. Um, and you were talking to someone about the value of an American passport, I think. Yes. Yeah. I mean, the Irish passport is pretty valuable too. Um, like there's literally like a table that you can see which is the most valuable. And by valuable, it means like what gives you the most freedom, like the most countries that you can travel to without a visa or the countries that it's easy to get a visa with if you have a certain passport. Um, so yeah, we're super lucky in this country and and in Ireland too to have these kind of passports that allow us to access the the whole world really. Let alone the how good thing how good we have it here. <laughs> and uh, as far as the visa goes, as long as you're working, does it can you just stay indefinitely? I'm very ignorant. I'm sorry. 
Oh, that's okay. I think, um, I think that that's normal because, you know, I was the same with the Irish immigration system. And I think if you were born somewhere, you know, why would you think about, um, like, why would you think about what's it like to try and move here? But I often have like born, born Americans saying like, what, you need a visa to come here? I'm like, yeah, you know, like how many people are knocking on the door of your country and they're not, not able to get in. Um, and yeah, so my visa is called an O1. It's an alien of extraordinary ability visa. Um, that's beautiful. <laughs> it's definitely promising more than I can deliver. <laughs> um, America will be the judge of that. <laughs> right. No, absolutely. It comes up for renewal in the summer. So I have to kind of have my ducks in a row or probably somebody more powerful than a duck. A duck yeah. Well, yeah. <laughs> so uh, when you, you talked about coming here, it was the romance of being a writer coming here because that was a question I, I, I think what do we have 23 episodes so far mm-hmm. and you're the first person who has spent most of their life living somewhere else and the idea of American fame. And it mm-hmm. seems to me like you were pretty successful in Ireland. You were doing, you were writing, you were making TV, you were doing, and then you, but then I guess, did you move to London uh, for uh, why? I mean, how much does that relate to a bigger, a bigger audience or what does it mean to be big in America kind of thing? Well, you know, um, I think being successful and being like well-known in Ireland isn't, we're such a small nation and there's only probably like eight full-time comedians there, (laughs) (laughs) you know, there's only like four and a half million people there. It's smaller than New York, you know, like it's tiny and, um, so yeah, I was doing well there. I had my own show. I would be like recognized by certain groups of people always like if I was in like a vegetarian place everyone would be like (gasps) or um you know like women women were often like 50 year old women or 17 year old women were like oh my god um so uh, and gay men of of every age. That's that's lovely. Um, yeah, so it, it was fantastic, and it was never a kind of a creepy level of like people knowing me or hassling me or anything like that. Uh, I assume that here, you're still at a level where you can walk down most. You know, it, it's not a, it's not an issue at this point. No, but that's what I was going to say when I knew I was talking to you and what your podcast is about. That like. That's a big part of why I moved because I think anonymity, which I suppose is the opposite of fame, is so valuable and it's so such a beautiful thing to have that freedom where you can just wander around, you can be in your own head and nobody knows your business and that's what you miss out on, I think, when you um when that when you lose that, um it's gone, you know, and I don't think people realize like for, for for some types of personalities that's like perfect for them um but I never enjoy it <laughs> and like it's not like I was you know um Drake but as soon as I moved to London which is is like New York in that it's big fast anonymous I felt this great sense of 
um, oh, wow, like I can absolutely do whatever I want. And not like I'm, you know, doing something illegal or weird. <laughs> it's just being. <laughs> yeah. I, I even feel that when I leave, I've, I've only lived in cities my whole life until this last decade. And I live in a, a town of 5,000 where you're going to be coming to play with Eugene in February at the Shea Theater. And yes, I've become a much more, you know, in San Francisco and New York, you know, I, I was a, I was happy being a, a, pe a person who knew a lot of people in the neighborhood, but you could walk into the next neighborhood. Mm -hmm. Whereas when you live in a tiny town, you're just, yeah. Uh, it's I, when I leave, when I go to an airport, when I go to New York, when I go somewhere, I, I love the anonymity more than ever and cherish it. And it, it, it is a, a good point that once you lose it and so many people strive to lose it, there's no getting it back. You know, once you're known. Yeah. For any reason, right? Like fame, notoriety, like, you know, that's kind of it. It could be your name or your face. And um, yeah, it's just, but you see, I don't think that everybody would feel that way. Like I said, I think there's some personality types that just like, they just need that light and that kind of attention. And, you know, that makes them feel great. And, um, and it's still, it's, it's still really nice and warm. Maybe you feel this when you go back to your hometown or to, you might feel this like when you kind of come back from a big city and then go home again, that like, it's also lovely to get back into that sense of familiarity. Like I went home for the holidays to Ireland and like the guy at Shannon airport was like, well, Maeve, how are you? Like the oh. passport control guy <laughs> and, and the taxi driver recognized my voice because I used to do a lot of radio and and like I was delighted with that Jamie because that was like oh I'm home like and these are like family almost it was it was weird and like I knew if something went wrong like if I lost my wallet or if you know something happened that I could literally turn to anybody just like you could do in in your hometown now and they and you'd be like oh I just live up there and you know they'd figure out a connection with you and you'd be fine yes um so I feel that in really like in Ireland, which is kind of extraordinary. And I, I think I took it for granted when I was there and I felt a little bit uncomfortable. Yeah. Usually it takes me about three days away and then I'm ready to come back and I have that feeling as well. Uh, yeah, it, it is very nice to come home. You've already kind of touched on it. That when you talked about there, there are different, you know, two different kinds of people, those who crave the that that kind of public limelight recognized on the street limelight and those who don't i find it's 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 broken down really uh along career lines in the people i've spoken to because the two people who especially eugene don't seem to court it at all were both like i presented eugene with the what i'm now calling the the nancy cartwright Patton oswald question would you rather be the voice of Bart Simpson and invisible in the world, or would you rather be more like Patton and have, you know, I, 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 you know, maybe it was dissing Eugene a little. He's not Patton, <laughs> um, and he was like, I don't understand the question. I'm a performer, of course. I want to be more known like Patton, and it wasn't an ego. It was just like this is what I do. Yeah, because I guess those are yeah that that's tricky because those are different jobs. 
so it's true. It's because he's doing voice acting, though. It made me think of it. Oh, that's yeah. true. Yeah, because I'd much, I'd always rather be the the the, the J D. Salinger than the Stephen King, the Invisible. You know, mm-hmm. and I'd rather be Nancy Cartwright because yeah, the mm-hmm. dread of of having people. For me, it's the dread of people adoring something that isn't you, that they see and have put on you. Yeah, I I think about that with Beyonce because she, uh, there's just like, I have a version of Beyonce in my head and like, that I quite often refer to, (laughs) like, you know, what would Beyonce do? Or like, Beyonce is doing, you know, and I don't know the woman at all. Um, (laughs) Not, Not yet. But not yet. I know I should email her back. But um, <laughs> she, uh, with with that, like with all of that, she has like such great power, right? And I think that's the, um, that's the, the huge advantage. Like she could probably get somebody elected to political office. Well, I guess she couldn't do that in the end. She tried. She can sell a lot of stuff, that's for sure. She that's can make a sure. lot of money. <laughs> yeah, you know, and, and you know, it, it is interesting. Um, the the power or lack thereof of fame in that she couldn't get Hillary elected and LeBron James couldn't get Hillary mm-hmm. Ohio. How much time have you spent? You're about to come to, to Turner's for a night, and I hope you'll come during the day and we can give you a little tour. And Eugene knows his way around quite well. Um, but how much, how much time have you spent in, in rural or, or small town America, the America that's taking the blame? <laughs> right. Um, n- not a lot. Like, um, I've been, I've been here for three years and I've only just started traveling really because of my show. Cause I'm going meeting immigrants who live in all different places and yeah, like it's not, it's not a very interesting revelation for anybody else but for me it's been like whoa (laughs) like New York is not America like there's so many different states here and so many different ways of being and attitudes and lives and New York is just one you know um so yeah I've only started my traveling really I'm a big fan of the writer Chris Arnade do you know him like he's a journalist and photo journalist um and he just drives all around oh yes he wrote that he did a big piece this year yeah he did a few things that kind of jumped out in 2016 like yeah about the yeah that related to the election yes he traveled around like properly and talked to people properly and just really like talked and listened to people and he did another piece for the atlantic about like the american dream and who it's alive for and who it isn't um, and he writes a lot about McDonald's. He's a big fan of. Is is there a McDonald's um, in your vicinity? Yes, right across the river. Oh, there is. Okay. So he he talks a lot about McDonald's being this kind of community center where people can get together and have coffee. And I just I found that to be very true where I lived in London, which is in like kind of a bad neighborhood. And I would always be like, "Ooh, McDonald's!" You know, what's even you know snooty about it? Um, but then I noticed like kids doing their homework in there and it was like warm and the coffee was cheap. And, um, and then I started reading Chris, the way he writes about it, it's just very humane, very compassionate. So yeah, I think New York has a lot to learn from, um, like 
from, I guess, middle America, if you can say that, and like people in small towns. Um, I was such a fan of his writing that like I asked him to meet me and like talk to me about the way he does journalism. Um, and so, yeah, so I, I met him. I went out to Hunts Point in the Bronx where he, uh, he, he, he lived there for five years and did a big photography project about like the women out there who work as prostitutes and um, there's a lot of addiction. And so we just like went driving around and chatted about his work. And yeah, it was really a cool, interesting afternoon, actually. I can't help but uh, mention this. Uh, you might not have met Beyonce yet, but maybe you should, you know, seeing as in, on your website, uh, it mentions your relationship with Michael Fassbender. <laughs> maybe he could connect you to somehow. <laughs> I have a longstanding <laughs> relationship with Michael Fassbender where there's been a number of times in my life where I should have met him. And I'm not like a celebrity hunter or anything like that. But the thing about Michael Fassbender is he grew up like not even 100 miles away from me. He's just a few years old. He's like, whatever, six years old. I don't know how old he is. He, he and I did our first show at the Edinburgh Fringe Festival together the same year. Huh. And I didn't know him then. <laughs> And then my friend John, who I do a show with, John Ronson, he's an English writer. Yes, yes. Um, he, you know, wrote this film that Michael Fassbender was in, and he was like, he knew that I was kind of caught up with him. And Caught up with him. <laughs> mm -hmm. That's like when you just said, I don't really know how much older he, he I think you know exactly how much, <laughs> yeah. Um, and John was like, come to the premiere, like I've got a ticket and you can finally get to meet him. And so I was like, of course. <laughs> and, um, I went to it. It was like in the East village or something, you know, we all watched the film and, um, he came out with the cast and it was like him, some other people, some other actors, but like Michael Fassbender walked into that theater and like every woman's vagina lit up. Like it was incredible. Like I wasn't, and I was like kind of jealous, kind of like interested, like it was unbelievable. And a, then there was like an after party after the um, screening and he was maybe six foot away. Like he was at the bar with McNulty from The Wire. You know that guy? Yes, of so they course. They were like two bad boys. And they were just at the bar and like, you know, people were coming and going, just kind of like throwing themselves at, like kind of being battered away. Like they were just like this ship going through the water to get. And then I just didn't fucking go over to them at all. And John was like, why, what are you, why are you sitting there? Like I was sitting there with my friend and I was like, I'm going to, I'm going to do it. I'm just going to. And then I was like, I'll go, I'll get a photo because that will like complete this at this point, years long, <laughs> I've written about him a lot. <laughs> oh, have you? I haven't. I've only listened to you. I haven't read no, your. Don't worry. <laughs> <clears throat> right, and you were jealous because you, you and Michael actually have a relationship, and they don't. Right, and and you know that was my time to, I guess, to prove it. But um, yeah, I bottled and I didn't. But that's yeah, that's the only person that I've that I'd be like, ooh, I want to talk. You know. Yeah. That's your only starstruck 
Yeah, maybe Oprah too. What about what about you? I went through a short period, a few years in life when I I did uh, monologue stuff in San Francisco, and I brought a show back to New York. And I was I was a fan of of Spalding Gray from the very beginning. Oh of his, yeah time and and i found ways to I, you know, i'd go and get a book signed and then when i was in san francisco my neighbor was his ex-girlfriend's sister and <laughs> so when i brought the show back to new york uh we were supposed to get in touch with his agent and uh see if they would come to the show yeah and on the airplane back for that that run he and his wife and his kids were sitting in front of me the next row up. Oh my airplane. gosh. And and during the, the time, the kid, one of the kids dropped a, a drawing he did that was like mommy, me, sissy, spalding. It didn't even say dad. <laughs> and I have it somewhere. I've lost it. I haven't found it in years, but I'm gonna find I didn't give it back to them. I kept it. <laughs> oh so, my gosh. And 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 they did. Make a reservation to the show, and then they didn't come. Uh, so, but you didn't say anything to him on the flight, right? I did in the uh, on the you know in in the in the airport after I said hello. And I I bumbled and fumbled and ran away. Oh well, at least you managed to get some words out, though. You know, um, did you hear the story of Mo Ammer? He's a really great comedian, LA based. Uh, and he happens to be a Palestinian refugee, like he as a as a kid. That's how he came to America, and he was seated next to bloody Eric Trump on a flight. And so he asked him about the Muslim ban. <laughs> this was since the election. Yeah, yeah. This is just a couple. This is in December. Holy shit! And how um, did that go? I think it went fine. Like there was a he. He kind of live tweeted it and. Um, he, you know, I think it was all very jovial, um, but he did kind of put it to him. And um, yeah, I think I want, I haven't talked to him directly about it. I just saw it online. Um, but I would trust that Mo would handle it beautifully. <laughs> uh, I'm going to go find those tweets. Yeah, yeah. And I think that uh, Eric Trump, I mean, I mean, so nuts that like he would even have any say in it, but like God knows what th those kids are doing but um i think he was like oh no no that's just fear-mongering <laughs> when i started this earlier this year a whole lot of people were like why would you want to do a show about fame or what do you care about fame and i'm like and then they'd be like i don't care about fame and i'm like you're the biggest like beyonce fan in the world of course you care about fame and they're like oh well okay but that's not the same but I feel like since the election, this is kind of important work because if Donald Trump hadn't wanted to be famous and if reality t television hadn't bloomed and made him, this, this, this wouldn't have happened. This bizarre kind of fame for its own sake. And I think he'll take infamous if he can't get famous. He, he wants the light on him in one way or the other. Uh, and I think that's really his, his, that's really most of what he's about. Mm -hmm. And that's why, you know, some, my, my father, good liberal father thinks it might be an okay thing because he will, 
he'll do what he's liked for, but it depends who who's liking him. You know, that he might, as a populist, just want to be beloved and thus not do the most hateful possible thing. But I'm very skeptical of that. Yeah, I think that he does. He he really um, feeds off energy, the energy of, of being famous, right? Like, I don't think that's a particularly bright insight, but it's like he needs that and he needs that mass attention. Um, yeah, we'll see because I... I I I think your dad is probably right there because I, hope so. I I have read that you know oh it's like the last person in the room with him that's what Trump is like left with he's like actually that person's right but um I guess the real fear for so many of us is is this kind of um bunch of ghouls that he's putting together like sessions and like um you know even his v you know Pence is just like. That's what makes me think, oh, even if Donald Trump is just like fame hungry and a buffoon, I mean, still that's bad enough, right? Part of me prefers an enemy I know I can recognize. I know it. I know what Mike Pence is always going to try to do. I wanted to ask you about the experience of doing Star Talk. Speaking of people who've gotten incredibly famous, is it always, I know Eugene's done the show and you've, but is, is it always with them? Um... Neil deGrasse Tyson? Um, the TV version is, yeah, he's, he hosts the, the TV version is on, um, National Geographic and that's always Neil. And then they have now, StarTalk have their main podcast, which is usually Neil and, but it's sometimes, sometimes other hosts like Bill and I, I've sometimes co-hosted with him. Um, we went to a live show that, that, that wasn't him. Yeah. Yeah, and because um, because StarTalk makes like lots of things, and they have another podcast called All Stars, where like I've co-hosted that with like Ma- Mike Massimoto. Do you know him? M- Sorry, Mike Massimo. He's an astronaut. He's like a very cool retired astronaut. Um, he might and- have been with there with Eugene and John Hodgman when I saw the Bell House show. Quite possibly. Yeah, and Carolyn Porco, and yeah, like they, there's like a lot, they're drafting in a lot more kind of like funny, cool, interesting scientists. Um, because I think just because Neil himself is obviously head of the Hayden Planetarium, and then he's like writing books and he does so much stuff, and then and people really enjoy Star Talk, I think, which is great. Like, there's really devoted fans, and also like unbelievably smart fans <laughs> because my role on the show is to, is to be um you know the the comedy co-host so it's just like be funny and I don't need to know it's kind of well I might be fooling myself here but I think it's like kind of better if I don't understand you know astrophysics perfectly <laughs> because it helps for me to be the voice of the person at home who's like what um without being like willfully ignorant or anything um but that's like a brilliant um show to to be on as a comedian because like I think what what maybe like uh, scientists and comedians have in common is that like we have this curiosity and like scientists uh, about everything like everything um and I think scientists deal with that curiosity by actually like 
going to school and like researching and then comedians just deal with it by like examining and by imagining and asking questions and um those two seem to go well together which is the thing that Neil deGrasse Tyson I guess discovered and um he's been massive support of a, a good few of us comedians actually you know and that's been I've learned so much from him like about presenting and about writing and um about tv but also actually just like facts <laughs> you know about like the, the cosmos and about what was he in between taping you know how in production there's like lulls where they have to reset something or um we like someone needs to use the restroom or whatever and uh Neil always talks to the audience and answers their questions in that time, which I think is such a beautiful, generous thing to do because he's like on and we tape two shows a night. And this is like, uh, we tape them very late because it's in the observatory of the Natural History Museum. So it has to be a certain light level, like, i.e. very dark. So it has to be really late at night. So it could be like one in the morning. He's halfway through his second taping and you know, there's like a kid in the audience asking him like why Pluto isn't a planet anymore, whatever. And um, he is so generous and I don't know how he ended up saying one time like the difference between flotsam and jetsam. And I didn't know, I just never knew what the difference was. But like one is because it's from a wreckage and then it, and then one is what like floats up after a wreckage. Yes. Uh, I learned, I learned and forgot that from a great, great book, uh, tale, tale for the time being a great novel. I read uh, and taught from last year. Yeah. So this is what, this is the definition. Flotsam is the debris in the water that was not thrown overboard as a result of a shipwreck. Jetsam was thrown overboard and it can be important under maritime law and it's like Neil you don't even need to know this like you just you just like know this and you're sharing this and it's just the best <laughs> that was great quick did you search or did you just have that from your from learning it then I just looked it up very nice I used to work for the public library where we'd answer the phone you did yeah and people would ask, ask would say you know what's Mel Gibson's birthday <laughs> Before, during, and after Google. So before we had lots and lots of calls and then oh during it, it kind of dwindled and we would just sit and play fly the copter or whatever the, the week's latest internet game was. And then, and then after there were just, there was just nothing to do. Um, because the New York public library has a really funny Instagram where they often post like photos of, cause I guess before the phones, people just used to write in with, with like, What's Mel Gibson's birthday? <laughs> mm -hmm. Prisoners still do. Oh, yeah, because they can't call. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And what are their questions? Um, some of them, uh, it is regular mail. I, I learned recently the post office doesn't like the term snail mail, so I'm going to try to respect that. Oh. Uh, yeah, don't, don't, yeah. Um, <laughs> and how do snails feel about it, I wonder? Snails must love it. It's pretty fast <laughs> for a snail. Um, but, uh, Sometimes they'll ask, 
things like they will kind of somehow rig it so they get back pictures of pretty ladies semi-naked. Like, who are the Playboy centerfolds? <laughs> Could you send me the, yeah, the, uh, yes. So, so there's some of that. Oh. That was a great job. I bet. Yeah, I, I just did this episode of my show and I t ended up talking to like two different librarians and loads of historians and I was just like, oh my God, we need to listen to them <laughs> more. You have a book of essays coming out at the end of the year? It is the year. It is 2017. That's crazy. Oh, yeah. Um <laughs> You're like, oh yeah, I'm supposed to have that book. <laughs> Gotta go. Um I, yeah, I, it is. Oh my God. You know what though? I think it's the end of next year. Yeah. So I, I've written, um, two, two like essay collections in the past few years. And then I was like, I know what I'm going to do. Cause they, they were just with, um, a UK and Irish publisher. So then I was like, and now I'm in America, I'll like sell them to an American publisher and it would be like, boom, you get paid twice. You're killing it. Look at me now. And then I the, and I met with publishers and one of the, and w went with one of them who's amazing. And then we like decided like to write a new book. Because <laughs> I was like, let's choose the best parts of these. And I'm willing to write a new introduction. And she was like, uh-huh, uh-huh. Can you write a new book? I was like, okay. <laughs> so I, I mean, I'm glad, but I just find writing like you probably know about this, like the, it's very hard and feel very sorry for myself when I'm writing. <laughs> yeah, no, I don't know anything about it. No. Yeah. Yeah. It's easy for you. You just sit down, bada but bada but Um, so yeah, I just wrote a piece over the holidays actually. And it was like. Yeah, I just, I find it really hard. I, who said that great quote about like, you know, I hate writing. I love having written. I think it was Dorothy Parker. Yeah, that's a great quote. And I think you're right. Mm -hmm. If you, if you think of yourself, <laughs> think of yourself as you retire, do you want to be known as a writer, as a comedian, as both? As what, what do you, what do you crave being esteemed for? Oh, um, you know, that's so funny because when Carrie Fisher died, I was kind of annoyed that she, you know, everyone was like posting pictures of her when she was like super hot and young. And I just knew bits and pieces of her writing that like made me think, oh, she was a, she punched up scripts, which I think is like the best job, you know? Like I think like taking something, making it funnier and brighter and easier for the actors, it's just like, and it's, often so thankless so that kind of annoyed me not that I do that I don't do either of those things I haven't been like a young beautiful actress or I, and I don't jump scripts but I was just like that's so annoying she can't but like you know we can't control that stuff like I like to um like to do I think I'd probably like to get like do funny be very funny at different things and <laughs> <laughs> I would though, because <laughs> um, I think that's hard, <laughs> especially these days. Like it's, I find myself getting very earnest and serious and like, I try and remember like how, 
how vital being funny is and like letting people laugh like at you with you at themselves uh with everybody like that's such a bloody gift like and um I think earlier this year I did this workshop in Iraq and it was a comedy workshop and it was like in Erbil which it was in the news last week you know it's very close to Mosul and um I was working there with like basically our peers right like you know comedy writers um cartoonists satirists all young enough forms of comedy because they haven't had that many years where they've been able to go for it in that way um but like really cool people really like uh funny and and warm and just like good at comedy and that like emphasized it to me as well I think just like that it's actually important and it's sometimes like even brave to be funny um so so that's something that I want to focus on and um as well like so I've been doing comedy for 10 years or 11 years now in 2017 and so I'm kind of like okay I've told my story you know like I've kind of you know not like mind you know but I'm very interested in other people and other people's voices <laughs> and I think yes that's the podcast yeah it, yeah totally like you're doing too you know it's kind of like you've obviously thought about these things for yourself and now you're like venturing out and asking other people and like giving them a chance to explore these ideas and to talk and to uh be listened to and that's like more interesting to me, honestly, than, um, you know, than doing like another one woman show or doing, you know, um, uh, you meant when you mentioned Dorothy Parker, uh, earlier, cause at first you talked about um, when we uh, first started talking, the, the romantic writer ideal of coming to New York. And I want, that's what I had forgotten earlier to ask you. Uh, was she among your, the, the people, the New Yorkers that you imagine, yeah, I mean, I love her, but probably she isn't one of the like faces that like pop into my mind. I, I think a lot about James Thurber and like I'm a huge fan of his and he's like totally wrapped up with New York and the New Yorker, obviously. And um, and also um, for funnies, him and then Maeve Brennan, who wrote like the long winded lady column in the New Yorker. And she's an Irish woman. Um, and she was very like smart and brittle and wry and like hilarious. And then she had like stuff going on in her personal life, like addiction and man problems. Just like very sad slash glamorous. <laughs> so there's her and then um who else? I think those are probably like my leading lights. Um and I do find them very like of of America. Granted that they were like writing in the what it was like thirties to fifties or whatever. Yeah. <laughs> um, so yeah. Do you do you have some of the? Uh, is the New Yorker something of your Michael Fassbender of places to be published? <laughs> if if that makes sense. <laughs> Nothing is close to my Michael. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. That was wrong. <laughs> um I do my roommate gets the New Yorker. Yeah, I mean 
now I see that it, I mean, yeah, it's great. Of course, it's really great. I actually prefer the reporting in it, though, than the comedy writing now. Um, like, that's what I like reading now. Like, the, the only books I've read in the past few years are just books about non nonfiction books, mainly about about wars, actually. But um, so that doesn't have the same appeal to me. Yeah, like I, I, I think I get sent that. I think it's still really great and everything, but but I think just like my tastes have changed a bit, and now I just like want to know like what's really going on. That's like what I'm obsessed with. <laughs> um, so that's but that's not it's not the kind of work that I do. But um, I like reading like long form stories, and I just love reading books. Like um, what we're reading now, I'm. Really this book at the moment called Burning Country and um, it's about the Syrian revolution and um, and it's so absorbing and it's so and it's not just like gratuitous about the torture that happens or anything like that it's just like a breakdown of like what actually happened because I think that war has been going on for so long now like six years that I was starting to kind of forget wait like how did this even start I was listening to your Prairie Home Companion uh, uh, appearance. Oh yeah, <laughs> and you, you have you 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 talked about a pet peeve that is also mine, and that is the word partner. <laughs> you don't like it. I, I don't like it either. I hate it. Oh yeah, it's a business life. It's so clinical or something. I always expect like this guy with shoulder pads to kind of emerge from the boardroom, like, okay, sweetheart, let's go. Yeah, exactly. Because you're in business <laughs> together. But I don't remember what you're did you did you come up with a did in that in that bit was there a chosen term that you liked? No, I don't like any of them. That's like the whole routine. That like I don't like boyfriend because I think it's kind of juvenile. Because, uh, like, I'm 35, so I think it's like, boy, I'm a boy, you're a girl. You know, like, it's just borderline creepy. And then I don't really like the one because it sounds like, obviously, Satan. And then... Or the Matrix. <laughs> right? That would be cool, though, if you could date the Matrix. Yeah, that'd be really amazing. Um, <laughs> But hard to kind of go on vacation and stuff. But... um. But it would be true. That would be true with Michael as well, though. Oh, we travel always. Oh, do you? <laughs> we do. <laughs> Does he wear disguises? You know what? I read that he's taking a break from movies. Did you read that? No, no. I I don't follow him quite as religiously as you do. Right? No, I don't. This is like this is he he's he's made like so many films in the past ten years, and now he's just going to take a break and like go on a motorbike around South Africa, but. Annoying, he didn't specify which countries in South South America. I mean, he's going to travel all around South America, but I don't know where. So that's going to be my focus next year as well. Just like going to bloody Argentina or whatever, wherever. I don't even Panama. I don't know. Do you know? Would if you knew? Would if you tell I, me? If I find out, I will tell you. When you're here in February, I will. I'll research it <laughs> for February. Uh, how about uh, significant other? I. I told you <laughs> this Michael Fassbender thing. And I know people are like, you're not really with him. If you're with him, you wouldn't constantly refer to him as Michael Fassbender. And I say, obviously I don't call him that to his face, mm -hmm. but for you, the media, I say Michael Fassbender. Mm -hmm. 
How about sweetie? My sweetie. Sweetie, fassy. Oh, fassy. Fassy your seatbelts. Um. <laughs> I'm not sure he's going to like that. I, I, I'm sorry. You know the answer already. Why am I acting as if? Yes. I don't know. You're being coy, <clears throat> but sorry. I know the answer. Oh, well. Well, I, I, I don't think he's going to be at the show here. Um, in, no. In the Happy Valley. Which Have you seen Happy Valley? Uh, the the British uh, mystery series, I that I, I, is out. It is also what our valley is called. As oh my a, god! In slang, is is the happy the Happy Valley, and and it is somewhat like the the valley. The the. the, well, the how come you moved there? Ah, uh, well, I had lived in San Francisco for fourteen years, mm-hmm. and I had aging parents. Uh, in Albany, New York, about two hours from here. Only child was kind of, you know, just kind of, I had a lo- lovely gilded cage, halftime job, and I would write a little bit and I would do a little bit of performance and you know, do a little bit of bartending and kind of was, imagine myself retiring as a halftime civil service employee who hadn't really pushed himself. And so I came back here to grad school oh. as a very old graduate student uh, 12 years ago. Uh, and then I ended up, and I thought I'd be here for a couple of years and then moved to Providence, a somewhat smaller city. Yeah. Because I'd never imagined leaving, not leaving the city. But then uh, things happened. I see, I see. I, yeah. I ended up being a, a one of the partners in a bar and restaurant here. And and it's, you know, I have a house. And uh, uh, my wife and I have a house and two dogs and a cat and cars and stuff. <laughs> you know, that I, I don't think I'd trade back for a city i i go often enough but it's weird it's also not my people exactly right right no totally but um in now in new york like snowing really badly is it snowing there no and there was snow in boston yesterday we've only had like an inch oh because i really feel bad for all the dogs around new york because it's just like they're just stuck in tiny apartments. So you're probably giving those dogs a really good life. We are. We even <laughs> the only improvement we 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 did in our house is to make our yard completely fenced in. When we oh bought. my god! So we open the door, <laughs> and we have a better life in the winter as well. But yeah, we go out off leash every day, run around. Every now and then, you'll run into someone who challenges you about the leash law, and I'm almost like. Look, pal, I I didn't leave cities to have to drag my dog around in the woods on a leash. But instead, I I usually try to be diplomatic about it. Yeah, yeah. I thought, is there a law there or is it not just like... Unless there's a special off-leash place, you're supposed to be on leash. But most people are fine if you have a well-behaved dog. Just some people are... I've had people pick their German shepherd up over their head because they're afraid that my, my smaller dogs are going to eat it. <laughs> but that's worth it for the comedy value alone, just that visual of a good, uh, German shepherd held aloft. Yes. They, you know, they happen to be pit mixes, but they're a lot smaller than that German shepherd and their sweetie pies. Oh. Yeah. Well, I hope they come to the show. Yes. Before or after, we'll say hi. Do you, do you or your roommate have a dog? That would be so funny if they came to the show. My um, 
Do you know Daniel Kitson? He's an English comedian. Oh, I do. I and and we hung out at, at at Eugene and Katie's wedding, and I would love to talk to him sometime. Oh well, the reason I bring him up is that like he was doing a show. I think it was in Edinburgh, in London. I can't remember. But um, somebody brought in their dog. You know, like a, a seeing eye dog. Mm-hmm. And um, well, I don't know if it's like a seeing eye dog, but it's some kind of care dog anyway. And uh, the dog was like sighing through the show, you know, like, <laughs> yeah. you know, they, they do that just like tough crowd. It sounds so like a human sighing. And Daniel often like talks to the audience. Like if you've seen his show, like if, if there's a noise or, you know, like he's not mm-hmm. like one of these like performers who just like rattles off a script. Like if something is going on, he'll address it. And he was just like, oh, I'm sorry. Like. Who's ah, bored here? <laughs> like, that's great. Who's sighing? And nobody told him that it was just this poor dog. So I think he was kind of rattled and like couldn't understand why this passive aggressive like sighing was happening throughout the show. Oh, I thought this was going to have a happy ending where he goes and talks to the dog. No. And in fact, he tried to and the dog bit his face. No. Oh. <laughs> Rim shot. <laughs> 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 uh, yeah, no, I, I, I find him very, very interesting. Uh, but you may well get a green room visit because my wife is a photographer and she's going to be shooting that night. Maybe I'll sneak them in the back way. Oh, cool. Mm-hmm. Okay, good. Uh, Shea Theater people, please ignore that. That, that, that never, I oh, didn't yeah. say that. You can, yeah. Thank you for putting this, uh, for, for, for working with me and, and yeah, on short notice so we can... Thank you for chatting. Get this out before the show. And no, I look forward to seeing you. Look forward to seeing you and the puppies. Yes. <laughs> and your dogs too, am I right? No. Sorry. Uh, but sorry. I'm bummed. Sorry, sorry. <laughs> bye. <laughs> Take care. Bye bye. Bye. For tickets to see Maeve Higgins and Eugene Merman at the Shea Theater in Turner's Falls on February 9th, go to sheatheater.org. That's S-H-E-A-T-H-E-A-T-E-R.org. Um, to find Maeve in America, just search for M-A-E-V-E, Maeve in America, anywhere you listen to podcasts. And once you become a fan... Listen for my favorite line. (laughs) Listener, I married him. For more about our show, please go to 15minutesjamieberger.com. That's 15minutes, J-A-M-I-E-B-E-R-G-E-R.com. This is 15 Minutes. I'm... Jamie Berger.